freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome back to the second hour of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, coming up in this hour, we, of course, have our Responsibly Armed Citizen Report and Dan's Tip of the Week. We're going to do that again? Um, yeah, it's Saturday. It's, uh, it, you- Why didn't you tell me, Cheryl? <laughs> I know you're ready. You are always ready. You want to scare me, but you're ready. Anyway, our next guest is Miss Mia Anstein. She is a hunting guide and co-owner of Wolf Creek Outfitters. Mia is also a certified archery and firearms instructor, and she writes for Women's Outdoor News, Western Whitetail Magazine, and other publications. And if all of that weren't enough, she is the third woman to ever grace the cover of Field and Stream Magazine. Miss Mia, are you with us? Hi there. How are you today? Oh, wonderful. And just so beamingly proud of you and to call you my friend. <laughs> oh my gosh, how it is exciting. It is. So how did this come about that <clears throat> a, a typically, you know, sort of male-leaning publication like Field and Stream uh, called out to you and you land on the cover? How does that happen? Oh my gosh, I'm not even sure how it all happens. Um, it's pretty exciting and it, to me, it really shows that women are making an advancement. We're coming a long way in the industry. And um, I, I just feel like, obviously, we're making an impact. And I was really excited to be interviewed, first of all, for an article for Field & Stream. But then um, when they sent me the picture of the cover, I honestly was speechless, like for a whole day. I don't think I could breathe. It was really incredible. <laughs> It is. I mean, and I just, they just did such an amazing job with it because it would be really easy, especially with someone, you know, petite and beautiful like you are, to go where they're really playing up your femininity. But they showed you in full gear, ready to go out and do some serious hunting. And I, I really, I'm proud of them for doing that. Yeah, isn't that great? And my aunt, um, she was one of my mentors when I was little and she, actually made the comment I sent her the picture and I was like look what you influenced look what you inspired and I sent her the picture of the cover and she was like wow and you don't didn't even have to wear a bikini to get there and I was like no (laughs) all I had to do was what I love you know I had to have a passion and it's really exciting to me and that it is my passion conservation and hunting and wildlife preserving habitats and everything that's my passion And it's really an honor to be recognized for sharing that passion because the story in there, and actually Barbara Baird, she interviewed me for the story, and it's really one about not necessarily my hunting or my guiding or how tough I am in the woods because um, that's not really what it's all about. It's not about who's the toughest. 
that it's about sharing with others and passing on the traditions. So the story in there, although it's brief, it's one about teaching my daughter about wildlife and conservation and bringing her full circle into becoming an independent hunter on her own. So it really um, is pretty cool to read, even though they interviewed me and I told them all about it, to reread it. It's an honor to be able to share those stories, as well as to inspire other people to get out there and do the same. Well, and I, I have to believe that you are inspiring other people. And, you know, so much of what we do, Dan and I, is about legacy. It is about passing along uh, everything, all of our knowledge, all of our rights and everything to our daughter and then to our, our granddaughter. And to see you, um, what is it, page 43, I think, because I've handed the magazine to Dan and he won't give it back. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we're on page 43. Yeah. yeah, I got locked on to when my daughter Leah was four. Yeah. I took her hunting. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. awesome. I want to take my grandbaby at two, but they won't let me. So I, have, I guess four is okay. <laughs> but that's awesome. Well, I've always taught my friends and I've always encouraged them. Leah is my daughter. She's the only daughter I was blessed with. And so I've always, if it was something that I couldn't bring her along, then it probably wasn't something I really needed to be doing. I've always encouraged people, if you want your kids to know how to behave in public, you take them to restaurants. If you want to have them understand the outdoors, you take them outdoors and you teach them about tracks and wildlife and feathers and anything that you can find. So she always came along on my hunts. And when we were little, my mom would hold back with her when I went to shoot a bird or something like that, you know, just so we were safe. But she's really been involved. And that's why she is so responsible. I mean, Cheryl, you met her at the NRA meetings. Awesome. She's a pretty mature girl for her age. Yes. She's, you know, she's that incredible. is the key, taking be- them everywhere you go. We did that with our daughter. I'm very proud of her. She's 27 or 26, 27, <laughs> somewhere in there. Well, you're in trouble now. I know. But anyway, we used to go antiquing, and uh, we took her everywhere we went. And the people that ran the stores hated the fact that we brought a, 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 child. a child in. <laughs> but the child would take the $200 items to the counter with care, and they would be super impressed with her when she said, my dad wants this piece of Roseville yeah. or something like that. So anyway, <laughs> oh, wow. thank you for that. We need to, our, our kids need to be involved so that they can carry our traditions on with them. Well, absolutely. And, you know, the name, the, the theme of our show today is No Guns for You. And so, um, you know, how does that possibly tie into a cover story on Field and Stream? Well, because you yourself is are very involved with the hashtag gun vote uh, project with the NSSF, which is about making sure that we don't hear in our near future that our gun rights have been taken away. That's right. Uh, the gun vote is very important, and I hope people will start following its hashtag #GunVote. I've been doing videos, and the initial video started out with a story of Leah and I. It was a different story, is about um, her in her road into hunting, but how that led into competitive shooting. And she's made a lot of friends shooting, and it's just opened a lot of doors for her to do that. And hopefully, she'll be able to share that with her kids someday. But I've interviewed several women, and the the scope of it, it affects so many people so many different ways. And I don't think a lot of 
people who aren't gun owners, they don't really understand. And actually, some gun owners don't understand. They think, oh, well, I don't own something that looks like an AR. But they don't understand that some of these laws actually will affect Mm -hmm. other, other firearms. It doesn't just affect something that has a certain look to it. So we really have to stay strong and defend our rights. Absolutely. And you defend rights uh, in other ways because you were telling me you sit on several boards um, (laughs) for for conservation and, and hunting and those sorts of things. Tell us about those. Yeah, I the passion extends way beyond. And a lot of people ask me, what do you do? I do a lot of things that I hope will make a difference for a country and preserve what my grandfather fought for. And I know a lot of other people's grandfathers and grandmothers as well. But I want to preserve that. And here locally, I sit on the Colorado Sportsman's Roundtable. And I'm also the secretary for our local Safari Club International chapter. And I sit on those seats because... Our hunting rights are being attacked, but that also leads down into fishing and also firearms. And so I know a lot of friends that I've made through being on the boards. We that we can send our friends and their friends, just like you guys did with the D.C. project. We send them to the Capitol to talk to our legislator. Where I live is very far from the Capitol, and I'm hoping to someday have the funding to make those trips along with you all mm-hmm. because I want to be able to be in the faces as well and letting people know, hey, we're real and we exist. We're we're moms and we do respect firearms and our children do also. Exactly. I think that's just so important to to be the face of and you know, getting back to your your cover uh, story here on Field and Stream, the title that they have across the the cover is Meet the New Game Changers and it's about eleven outdoors women who are transforming the face of hunting and fishing. That tells you right there that, you know, nobody understands that, that you and I even exist. You know, we're, we're just normal <laughs> moms. I'm a normal grandma. And what the heck, I happen to, to value our, my Second Amendment rights? How does that fit in anybody's stereotype? Yeah, and it's, I think we're breaking that stereotype. It's, it's really changing. People are seeing that we do exist. We are real. We're not saying things because somebody told us to say them. It's something that is in our hearts. And most of us that I know of that are doing the same things or similar avenues, we have a love for America. We love the United States and we don't want to see it fall by the wayside. We don't want to become some third world country. You know, I'm pretty proud of where I live and I'm proud of what our forefathers built. Absolutely. Well, as we said at the the top of your um, interview, you wear a lot of different hats. So um, (laughs) we've got two minutes left. We might need all of those two minutes uh, both of those two minutes to tell everybody how can they follow the work you do, the things you write, um, connect with uh, little gal, your daughter Leah, and, and kind of see her her progression through uh, growing up in, in the hunting sports. Tell us a little bit about all that. Well, one of the main things you mentioned beforehand, we both write for Women's Outdoor News, you and I do, but also the little gal writes there now to um, she's wanting to get into journalism and media because she wants more people to understand and she wants to be heard. So she's getting into that aspect as well and reaching the younger generation. 
And you can follow both of us as well as Cheryl on Women's Outdoor News. And then you can find a lot of what I do at MiaAnstein.com. And it's funny that you say that because everybody does ask, like, what what is it about? And I actually have an about page about what Mia's Motivations is. And Mm -hmm. it's not just hunting. It's not just shooting. But I explore. I look into things in um, what I call the modern day Wild West because I do live in a rural area. I went to high school and college in San Diego. So I know what the cities are like. And to a lot of folks that live in high metropolitan areas, they don't really realize what's going on in the other 80% of the world. And there's a lot of stuff. So I try to bring some of that to the table as well and um, share the Wild West and modern times and mountains and survival and explorations. And then also, of course, hunting and shooting is mixed in almost everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. And you've got a Facebook page and a Twitter and the whole nine yards, right? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, Pinterest, all of it. You can just Google Mia Ann Stein. It's M-I-A. And then my last name is A-N-S-T-I-N-E. If you if you look that name up, you can usually find me. Um, I also have a YouTube channel and same name. Excellent. Well, Mia, thank you so much uh, for all that you do and and for inspiring uh, the next generation of hunters, both male and female. Um, And we're going to have to have you back on again soon. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, stick around because we still have a lot of show coming up. Our next guest is Dr. John Adine, and he's going to talk to us about the gun-free zones of hospitals right after this. When you're working hard to beat debt, you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up. Here's an idea. Sell some stuff at auction. Start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com. The owners, Dan and Cheryl Todd, have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques, collectibles, guns, coins, and jewelry. And over their many years in business, they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you. Whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt, let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. That's potofgoldestate.com. Hey ladies, Cheryl Todd here from azfirearms.com. Many of us ladies are taking the important step of becoming responsibly armed, but it can be an intimidating process. And with all the politics swirling, a first-time gun buyer, whether a guy or a lady, might feel uncertain about where to begin and who to trust. At azfirearms.com, we are a small, friendly, family-owned shop that specializes in first-time gun buyers. We are staffed with knowledgeable people who are ready to help answer all of your questions. My husband 
husband Dan and I pride ourselves on having a safe, no-pressure environment. Once you have decided on a purchase, azfirearms.com partners with professional firearms instructors who will train you to become a responsible, safe, prepared, and proficient gun owner. So, ladies and gents, when you are looking for personalized service and a huge selection, come to azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road or visit us on the web at azfirearms.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, educate, and inform. We're sponsored by AZ Firearms, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. Our theme today is No Guns for You. And join us is Dr. John Edine. He's a healer who is a proponent of gun ownership and fears that his place of work may be an inviting target to terrorists. In his new article in USCCA magazine, In the Crosshairs, he explains that we should be better protecting our hospitals and the patients and doctors inside. Welcome, John Edine. Are you with us? I'm here. I'm here uh, sitting in Sky Harbor Airport in Terminal C. Well, How do you like that? I love that. I know yesterday when I reached out to you and I said, ah, we had somebody have to postpone. Would you be able to come on the show? And you're like, well, I'm actually going to be in Phoenix for a layover. So I can't, you know, can't come in live, but... How about that? You're right here in town and not long enough to go have lunch together. I hate that part. Yeah, that's not so good. But I'm on my way to see uh, Uncle Mass. I'm going to do a MAG-80 uh, at the Farms Academy of Seattle uh, from Monday to Friday next week. So it's all for a good cause. It is. I'm so jealous. Now, those of us who don't know who Uncle Mass is, please elaborate. Um, Basad Ayub, he's probably the guru of defensive uh, firearms use amongst civilians and the uh, armed citizens' rules of engagement. Yeah, uh, he's a he's a um, retired uh, part-time police officer, and uh, now he spends all his time training people. And he's uh, one of the best around. Kind of a big deal, that guy. I I need to meet him at some point. Um, oh, so. I love him to death. He's a great man. He really is. He's, uh, he's uh, all all he's uh, made up to be and more. I love it. Well, let's um, talk about how you, you are a healer, right? You're a doctor, you're Dr. John Adine, and you are not against guns. I mean, what is that about? Well, you know, firearms have their place in society. Um, firearms in the hands of good people are not been found to be a problem. It's only firearms in the hands of bad people when they are isolated and the good people are disarmed. That's when harm happens. And uh, as you know, I am a, uh, you know, just a big hater of gun-free zones because all they do is disarm the good people and allow the bad people free reign to do whatever they want to do. And we see example after example after example of this. Absolutely. And um, you're a member of uh, the DRGO, which is the Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership. And so you look not only at guns as, you know, differently than, than the, the anti-rights crowd. You just look at it as a tool for self-defense. But you also look at your workplace uh, from a kind of a tactical standpoint, and, and you see a hospital a little bit differently than maybe the average person that's coming in for, uh, you know, a checkup or something. Tell us a little bit about how you see your hospital. Well, I see it as a big, soft target. Uh, when you have to defend something, you have to think like your adversary. 
And so when I see a hospital, I see easy access. I see a large number of uh, the type of people that I would want to take hostage and to use for political ends and a large number of potential casualties. Uh, also, there's nuclear materials and biological materials in hospitals that can be weaponized and used against the community. And also, having an attack on a hospital would be a force multiplier. For instance, if there is a, an attack in the downtown area of a city, for instance, a bombing, you know, say, you know, Boston Marathon-type bombing, and then there's a secondary attack at the hospital when the casualties start to arrive, uh, that multiplies the effect of the initial attack. The people who are going for help uh, will not be able to be helped because the hospital is going to be in chaos. Those who would be treating them are probably injured or dead. And now we have a real uh, big problem. So, you know, this is what I'm looking for. Also, things like information technology. Uh, people in hospitals have a lot have access to a lot of data. Um, we have to look at doctors and hospital employees, too. We have a large number, number of uh, Middle Eastern physicians in this country now. And although they're vetted and their you know, backgrounds are checked, that's retrospective. That's not prospective. There's, there's nothing that says that they can't be radicalized and you know, you know, they can become uh, the actors. I mean, there's plenty of history of this. If you look back, I mean, Amin al-Zawahiri, the number two al-Qaeda guy, was a doctor. Mm. So this this is the kind of thing that we're looking at. And in my article, I actually put a list of doctors that, that have been terrorists. And so this is not a uh, unheard of thing to have doctors turn uh, terrorists. John, I went to uh, D.C. a couple of weeks ago and we took our family. And one of us had to go to the hospital in D.C. And it was late at night and it was not in a real good area. And I thought, well, this is safe. I'm going to walk into the hospital, and I can sit in the waiting room, and everything's going to be okay. I walked in the, the room, the emergency area, and the security guard was, I think, unarmed. He was in a blind spot, and the people were just sitting there. There was people screaming and yelling, and I felt very uncomfortable. And then having a conversation with you before when you were on the radio show made me feel very unsafe, the fact that I'm in a hospital with no way to defend myself. And so I can imagine how some of the doctors might feel. Well, you know, it's actually uh, statistically proven that um, hospital employees have a high risk of injury on the job. It's a a dangerous profession. Uh, You talk about emergency rooms, you know, a gang, gang member gets shot, comes into emergency room. The guys that shot him are coming right behind him. And there's a gang war right in the emergency room. And it's not unusual for for uh, security people not to be armed. You know, uh, hospitals are are uh, relying on the magic of the plastic sign at the door saying no guns allowed. Well, you also we I'm sorry, but you have to think that he's he's going to be the first target. The armed or unarmed security guard is the first thing they see, and they're going to eliminate that. Absolutely. In fact, in uh, some of the terrorist attacks that, that I talk about in my article. Uh, uniform police and uniform security were the first ones to be executed as an example to the hostages to tell them so that they would cooperate. They knew that these guys were serious. You know, they, they took the police officers, boom, one to the head, it's done. All of a sudden, you have very cooperative hostages. 
Absolutely. Well, and uh, earlier in the show, we had uh, Charles Heller, who is in the Jewish uh, for Jews for Preservation of Firearms Ownership. And so a couple of times as we're talking, I felt like I needed to to go to the okay, don't hear what I'm not saying mode, you know, and and people that are on purpose trying to mishear us um, are going to. But, you know, you mentioned that there's a lot of doctors of Middle Eastern descent, and that's true. And it is possible that they could be radicalized. But, you know, we're not picking on any particular race. Uh, people want to run off with that and, and take that as the conversation that we had. And, and that isn't the conversation we're having because anybody that has evil in their heart can do uh, terrible things to, to other people, right? Oh, exactly. However, you know... Right now, there is a war going on in the world, and it's in Europe, it's in Middle East, and it's starting to happen here in the United States, where people of a specific religion, and we all know which one that is, mm-hmm. are radicalized, and they're, they are killing innocent civilians, mm-hmm. specifically in gun-free zones, and you know, there's nothing that, you know, there's hardly anything that can be done uh, once you're in that situation, unless people get organized and attack the attackers. Uh, that goes against human nature. We're going to run away, not go towards the attacker. But uh, that's actually exactly what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but what, so my article is really talking about terrorism. And you know, certainly against, uh, that doesn't mean that you know, your uh, you know, spree shooter isn't a risk. It right. certainly is. That, that's, a, that's certainly, we've seen that uh, in the United States. Uh, people come in to shoot, either shoot a doctor because they have a grudge against them. Mm. Uh, there was a there was a thing that happened in Florida last week where a guy came and shot a nurse and an elderly patient. Nobody knows why. He just went in there and killed them. Right, right. Well, I, I could say this, that giving us the right to carry firearms anywhere we choose is not discriminating anyone. That's well, correct. Well, that's true. And I like the point that just you yourself being you um, make that there is no, um, you know, it's not a, a contradiction that a doctor might want to be armed. That is not a contradiction of terms, and I think a lot of people would see it that way. In fact, a lot of doctors who work under the circumstances you just described probably are armed either against the law or against hospital policy for that very reason, because you know, they realize that but, you know, there's not going to be anyone there to save their bacon when things go wrong. And yeah. so uh, either, you know, fortunately, there are some places where doctors can carry in hospitals. Where, where I'm from in Texas is not one of them uh, unless you get permission from the hospital. And that's not likely to happen because of the, the corporate nature of hospitals and the fact that uh, they have attorneys telling them, oh, the plastic sign is just fine. You're covered with that. <laughs> and yeah. it's not. And it's really not. And it's, it's going to, unfortunately, it's going to take a bloodbath at a hospital for hospital administrations to wake up. Mm-hmm. And when that does happen, there's going to be a huge billion dollar lawsuit against the large corporation of the hospital for failing, failing to predict that, uh, you know, a terrorist attack, that they were a likely target. And you and I both know yeah. that hospitals, shopping malls, schools are great targets for uh, terrorist attacks. And, you know, when 9-11 happened and they started using air marshals and airlines, you know, you think about that. They were on uh, no uniform. They were plain clothes. And 
they would have to do that to hospitals too. You couldn't have our, uh, uniformed officers because, again, they're the target. It just makes right. more sense to let people, responsible owners, carry firearms. Or here's here's another idea. How about something like the FASTER program for, for physicians and hospital employees, where we, we arm and train for both firearms and trauma medicine? Because not everybody knows how to put a tourniquet on. Not everybody knows how to stop the bleeding, now, even in the medical profession. Uh, so that's specific training. So, you know, why not something along that line? I think that right. would be a, a fantastic idea. It still allows uh, people to be armed, but they're vetted, they're trained. Absolutely. And that, but you can train with the police department so they know who you are, too, so you don't get shot in the back. Right, right exactly. Hey, let's cut to break for a minute, if we could. And you're going to stick sure. around, still there at Sky yep. Harbor Airport on your layover, uh, waiting to talk to us. Uh, so, yeah, stick around through the commercial. We have much more coming up with Dr. John Adeen about the risk that gun-free zones present, including hospitals. Hey everybody, this is Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan, world champion gunslinger and Hollywood gun coach. In the Westerns, there's always a good guy and a bad guy and sometimes the ugly guy. And I always root for the good guy, which is why I'm here to tell you about the good folks over at azfirearms.com. They are straight shooters and always give you the best deal in town. azfirearms.com is the biggest little gun shop in Arizona and have something for every single gun enthusiast. Long guns, pistols, hunting, military, law enforcement, home protection, you name it. And when you've got some guns to sell or trade in and trade up, azfirearms.com are the folks to see. Geez, they bought a cannon once. They are family owned and operated, friendly staff, courteous, totally reliable. azfirearms.com will give you the best value for your used guns. So stop in, see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd at azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road and tell them Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan sent you. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Potty Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Potty Gold Auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at pottygoldestate.com. The Second Amendment Foundation is the organization that protects our right to keep and bear arms. They defend our rights in courts from coast to coast. Now they need our help. Go to saf.org and join the Second Amendment Foundation today. Dedicated to promoting a better understanding of our constitutional heritage to privately own and possess firearms. Support those who support our Second Amendment rights today. That's saf.org. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, educate, and inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. And we have on the line with us Dr. John Adeen, who recently wrote an article called In the Crosshairs, and uh, talking to us about the the danger that gun-free zones pose, and specifically... The gun-free zones of hospitals. John, are you still with us? Still here. Well, thank you for for sticking around. I know you're on a layover at the airport here in Phoenix, but not enough time to get into the studio. 
Um, and so I really want to kind of dive into the article that you wrote. You talk about four types of terrorist attacks that could possibly happen. There's a decimation, a mass hostage seize, there's the synergistic attack, and the symphonic attack. And, you know, you aren't just kind of throwing this out there like, oh, maybe it could happen. You tell us history of when it has happened. And, I mean, it's a really well-done article. So talk to us a little bit about uh, the article itself and, and, and the different kinds of attacks that you discuss in there. Right. Well, uh, the, this comes from a, a, a man named John Giduk, G-I-D-U-C-K, who wrote a book called When Terror Returns. And he's actually looked at in-depth at terrorist attacks, uh, mostly in Russia, um, in, the, in the 90s and in the early 2000s. And he describes these four attacks, a decimation attack as, uh, for instance, a suicide bomber or a uh, bomb truck or even a lone wolf attacker or a small uh, unit um, that would go into a place and just try to kill as many people in one time in, in a short period of time. And San Bernardino is a, is a classic example, or even Orlando. There's another example. Okay, a mass hostage, hostage siege. Uh, a, a good example for that is the school in Beslan, uh, Russia, where they uh, had on opening day, a group of Chechen terrorists took over the place, and there were over 300 people killed over a several-day siege. And, and these guys also, the, the leaders of these guys escaped. So they, they weren't even brought to justice. They got out uh, to uh, keep doing things like this again. A mass, so, and this is the kind of things that we're dealing with. A synergistic attack, think of it as a combined decimation and mass hostage uh, attack. And 9-11 is, is the example of that. They took, they basically kidnapped all the people on the airplanes and then used the airplane as a flying bomb to hit buildings. Mm-hmm. and kill more people. Uh, and this has, you know, the, the advantage of uh, first kind of getting the population's attention and then just, you know, the decimation attack in this case was devastating. It, it rocked an entire country. In fact, you might even say it rocked the world. Mm. And then a sp- symphonic attack is uh, multiple targets hit simultaneously. And this happened in Mumbai, India, where multiple targets were attacked, multiple hotels and uh, you know, community centers, et cetera, were all hit all at one time. And you know, these things are very difficult to guard against unless you have intelligence that tells you they're coming so you can stop them. I mean, multiple targets at the same time, you have to have somebody on the inside to stop something like that. So true. So and those- the Paris attack would fit that model as well, right? The most recent Paris attack? Um, the Paris, you're talking about the Paris one? Yes. Uh, I think there was just one, one place though, wasn't it? Wasn't just the theater? No, there was the, no, the one before that. That was the one with where, uh, the Hillsboro or whatever. That was the one where they did multiple. They did a cafe. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, gotcha. you're hitting multiple, multiple places. Yeah, and that, that would be certainly a symphonic attack. Gotcha. Again, these things are difficult to defend against. And again, as, as you and I both know, the best defense is to have armed people at the, at the place. A good guy with a gun is going to stop a bad guy with a gun, or at least they have a chance to have stop a bad guy with a gun. Absolutely. And so um, in the article, when, when you mention hospitals, what, where do they fall as a, a potential uh, target? What kind of attack do you foresee? Well, they're, they're really good for the mass hostage siege. 
In fact, the two examples that I cite in the article in uh, Budanovsk and Kislar, uh, both in, in uh, Russia in the 1990s, they uh, had, had a mass hostage siege. In fact, in the, in the first one, the, the uh, Spetsnaz guys tried to uh, break it up and they were repulsed. So these guys had, had, you know, had such a good defense set up. In the second one, they put all the hostages in the higher floors and wired the lower floors so that if, um, if there was an attack, they could uh, light off the explosives and collapse the hospital and kill uh, all the hostages plus all the uh, rescuers. Mm. So this, this is the kind of thing that we're looking at. And, of course, you're looking at large numbers and you're looking at over a long period of time. So there's a huge uh, exposure to the press. So they can get their message out or they can recruit based off of it or, or however that's going to happen. Mm. And so um, I think it was when we first met about a year ago at the gun rights policy conference here in Phoenix that you, you for the first time had me looking at even ambulances with a really different view. Um, talk to us about why you helped me see ambulances different. Well, first of all, it's, it's there are, there's a history of attacks against hospitals where they either have a car bomb or an ambulance bomb or an ambulance or a vehicle painted like an ambulance comes to an emergency room and, and disgorges an assault team. Um, often this happens in the face of an, you know, an attack elsewhere. So it's, it's kind of that, uh, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the synergistic attack, you know, mm. the, the combined, it's a combined attack. And so what they do is, you know, when the, when the casualties start to arrive, they light off the bomb or they attack the hospital and, uh, and an ambulance can be used as a tool. Uh, in the hospital that I work at, my, emer- my, my emergency room is one floor below the operating room that I work on. Mm. So if there's an ambulance bomb in that bay, you know, it's all over. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm done. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so we have to ask our hospitals, do they have a plan to prevent terrorist attacks? Do they have a plan to secure the ER if there is an attack in town to search ambulances, to keep vehicles away from, from vulnerable areas at hospitals? Um, is there a plan to possibly train and arm staff? And in some states that may not happen, but, you know, in places like Arizona and Texas, there's a possibility that we can get things done and we have to really, you know, the hospitals have to see that there's a liability in not making a plan mm-hmm. and in not, because these attacks are, are unfortunately are foreseeable and they're inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're a bad guy and you want to have a lot of bang for your buck, you want to hit a school, you want to hit a mall or you want to hit a hospital. Mm-hmm. And, and these are all places that, um, that I think are are vulnerable because most of them are gun-free zones at this point in time, and they're not going to be uh, easily defended by people who were there. Mm-hmm. Well, you, before the break, you talked about the FASTER program, and I think it was last week we had Rob Morse come on and tell us about his experience with training with the FASTER program. And one of the things that stands out to me is that, you know, you talked about tourniquet training. You know, it's it's not just about, okay, arming teachers or arming, you know, hospital staff, but it's about training people how to save lives in those precious seconds uh, right immediately after an attack until other help can arrive. 
Yeah, I mean, if you look at an attack on a hospital, it's going to be chaos. The emergency department is not going to be able to handle the amount of casualties that come out of uh, out of something like this, and the emergency room may be the target of the attack. Mm-hmm. You know, most hospital literature, medical literature, talks about responding to terrorist attacks. You know, we get do triage, we do this, we do that, but they don't talk about the hospital being the, the uh, focus of the attack. Mm-hmm. And they and so, you know, they don't have a you know most hospitals don't have a plan for a secondary triage center or a place somewhere other than the emergency rooms. You know, to handle casualties. Mm-hmm. They're just not set up for it. Hospitals are, are very efficient at being designed to do, you know, patient comes into the ER, you know, from an ambulance to an ER, goes into the ER bay, gets evaluated, and goes to the OR, goes to the floor or whatever. That's the way hospitals are set up. And um, if you disrupt that, all of a sudden you have chaos. So if you're in a place where the next hospital is 50 miles away, that's a problem. It is a problem. That's a real problem because people are going to die because there's no one to treat them if there's a secondary attack at a hospital. And, and these are the things that keep me up at night. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I want to see are my patients, my colleagues, their families, um, you know, victims of this kind of attack. Absolutely. And so I think that it's it's wise of you to bring this to the forefront because, you know, there will be people out there that say, oh, hey, good job giving the bad guys ideas. Do you think the bad guys haven't already thought of this? There's already been over 100 terrorist attacks against hospitals since 1981, with over 700 people killed and more than 1,000 people injured. So I think it's already in the playbook. Yeah, It just hasn't happened here yet. But it's coming. We know that people have come across the southern border. There were cells that are here. There's more people coming from uh, you know, Syria and the Middle East who have not been vetted. And, uh, you know, these refugees are uh, young men of uh, military age. We just don't know. I'm too. We I don't hear know you. Where, so, so we've got think, like two minutes. Tell us, so what do we do about this? Well, I think the first thing you need to do is you need to talk to your hospital uh, administration and the hospital boards and ask them, do they have a plan for terrorism? What is their, you know, what is their plan for isolating emergency rooms in case of an attack in the city so that there's not a secondary attack in their emergency room? Also, you probably need to talk with your state legislators about the laws that disarm people in hospitals. You need to start getting rid of gun-free zones. And, of course, you know or may or may not know about the law that just went into effect in July in uh, Tennessee, where they hold the owners of gun-free zones liable for damages if they disarm uh, concealed license holders. And also there's a secondary to that, that if you do not put the signs up, you are held harmless. So things like that will cause the lawyers to go, hey, uh, (laughs) we do have liability now. Mm -hmm. We need to maybe start taking down some of these gun-free zone signs. And so this is, I think this is the next front that we need to look at as far as trying to get our rights back and trying to, uh, to get rid of the evil gun-free zones. Because as far as I'm concerned, instead of the little uh, you know, gun with a circle, they ought to have a skull and crossbow. Mm. Because you enter at your own risk, and, and you may not come out. Mm. Wow. Well, very compelling. I hope everybody checks out uh, not only your article in the crosshairs in the uscca.com uh, website, but also the drgo.org. If you're a doctor. No, it's, it's, it's .us. 
Oh, .us. I always do that. Yeah. DRGO.us. Thanks for, for correcting me on that. And John, thank you again for your article. Thank you for all you do and uh, for being on. And I like the ending line in your, your article. It says, you know, it can never happen in your city until it does. So on that note, travel safely. And thank you for being on. Thank you. All right. Well, stick around. We still have our Responsibly Armed Citizen Report and Dan's Tip of the Week. We're still going to have that? Still going to have it right after this. Be a part of the gold rush and head on down to see my friends. Be a part of the gold rush and head on down to see my friends at Pot of Gold Auctions in Avondale, Arizona. Or check out the auction online at potofgoldstate.com. These folks auction off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Everything is going, going, gone. So you best hurry and tell them Don Cogger sent you. And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it, as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ, as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun. Absolutely. AZFirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment. Staffed by knowledgeable people. AZFirearms.com is Knolltown Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit AZFirearms.com. Come listen to the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Hear about armed civilians protecting people they love. Were they lucky or were they prepared? Come listen and learn at selfdefensegunstories.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And we hope that you have been here for the whole show. But just in case you, you popped in a little late and you missed any portion of this show, you can always go back to our website, gunfreedomradio.com, and pull up the On Demand tab. Every single show that we've ever done is right there on under that tab, um, all, going all the way back to when we were a one-hour show. That was not so long ago. Uh, so every guest we've ever had is also on, that, on our site. It's under, they are under the Guest tab. You can see the the face that belongs with the voice you're listening to. Uh, There's a short bio on everybody and even links that take you to their Facebook page or their web page or the article that that they wrote that we were discussing. Um, The the website's really become an incredible resource um, that I'm I'm starting to see other people even use to, you know, kind of say, hey, do you know this person and they'll they'll share the link that um, that goes to their their guest page. I I write a, a blog. I've gotten a little out of my habit of getting one up every week, um, so I'm a little behind there. But um, I also write for Women's Outdoor News, and so once a month, I I definitely have an article 
in that publication. And uh, so you can find all of these things on gunfreedomradio.com. And, you know, Dan and I know what's on our minds about things, right? But we, we hate the whole idea of the echo chamber and preaching to the choir. We want to hear what you think. We want to hear what's on your mind. What did we talk about that, that maybe you disagreed with? As long as you're respectful and logical in your retort, bring it. We want to hear your thoughts and your words. And you can do that on our Facebook Messenger um, for GunFreedomRadio.com. You can go to Twitter, GunFreedomRadio.com. Go right to our Contact Us uh, link on GunFreedomRadio.com. Um, we really do want to hear from you. Um, if there was a particular guest that you felt like, um, wow, I want to hear more from that person. You know, let us know that too. Uh, if you have an idea for a guest, let us know because this truly is supposed to be designed to be a conversation. Even though we don't take calls live on the air, uh, that's mostly for um, reserving of our time. Because I, I'm every time we have to say goodbye to a guest, I feel like you know I want more, uh, just a few more minutes. And so, um, why don't we go to a three-hour show, Cheryl? Uh, because we're not going to go to a three-hour show, Dan. Stop it. You keep pushing that. It's not going to happen, at least not today. It worked from one to two. That's This is true. You just kind of, one day you just said, hey, guess what? We're going to be on for two hours. So uh, I'm not going to fall for that one again. Fool me once. Shame on you. Yeah. Fool me twice. You get a paper cut. Just remember that. Okay, moving right along. One of our most favorite things that we get to do every week is our responsibly armed citizen report. Fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. We like to bring you the stories of, you know, when a good guy with a gun was able to stop a bad guy or or stop uh, an attack or, you know, just sometimes our presence, you know, knowing that there were so many armed people around the Republican National Convention in Cleveland very likely prevented and discouraged anybody from doing the wrong thing with a gun. I mean, you would have thought that would have been a a target-rich environment, a a politically rich uh, environment for the bad guys to be able to go, you know, hey, look, all these... um, these Republicans that love their guns and love their country, you know, we were able to attack them. And guess what? There wasn't. And, and I have to believe that there's at least some measure of that um, that we can attribute to all of the safe and responsible gun owners who were there. But um, today's story, our Responsible Armed Citizen Report, it shows us that danger can visit us wearing the face of a friend or a relative. Danger doesn't have to pay us random and unexpected visits. Danger can have lived with us and pretended to have loved us. Being prepared and aware can help us to put distance between ourselves and danger, but danger most often will not give up quite so easily, and sometimes danger tracks us to our places of safety. For one woman who ran to the shelter of her father's home, running from the fists and the anger and the beatings that danger meted out whenever it suited him. For this woman, her father's home was her refuge, and her father's gun helped stop danger in his tracks when danger attempted to break in to this haven one early morning 
in an attempt to find his prey alone and unguarded. It may be the very last time a man goes after his ex-girlfriend. Albuquerque police say the woman's father shot her ex multiple times when he tried to break into their home yesterday. That ex has been accused of domestic violence before. Danielle Tedesco has new details tonight about what happened. It's probably no surprise the 76-year-old father involved in a shooting Thursday didn't want to talk to us on camera. Police say 40-year-old Lee Brandenburg tried to break into their condo off Wantabo. That's when officers say the father of Brandenburg's ex-girlfriend pulled out a gun and shot Brandenburg multiple times in his legs. He told police his daughter and granddaughter had recently moved in with him after Brandenburg started threatening her. We found a criminal complaint for Brandenburg back in April. He was charged with battery against a household member. Court documents show the girlfriend called police saying Brandenburg punched her in the head, but then the officer says she started backtracking, hoping Brandenburg wouldn't get in trouble. Brandenburg never showed up to court for that case, so a warrant was issued just last month. Now, after Brandenburg gets out of the hospital, he will go straight to a jail cell. Brandenburg will be charged with aggravated burglary when he gets out of the hospital. Now, police say the father who shot him will not be charged. No, wait. I heard they they did a restraining order on the guy. Wouldn't that be enough? Mm, apparently not. <clears throat> it just really um, is is fortunate that the father was armed, because what would he have done to a seventy? He's forty years old. What would what he have done to that seventy six year old man? Yeah, I agree. And you know the part yeah. of the story where it says that you know the the girlfriend started kind of backtracking on her story about being abused. It's so sad because it happens probably more often than not because they're living in such a state of fear and they're living under the power of somebody um, that they, they don't feel like that piece of paper, that restraining order is going to protect them. And so they, they get nervous and they start saying, Oh no, 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 he really didn't right. uh, hurt me. No, he doesn't beat me. He it's strange. Me. I mean, I've been out riding with police officers where they went to a domestic violence thing and where the man was beating on the woman or the woman beating on the man, it happens both sides. But uh, when the police get there and they, uh, they go after the man or the woman that's doing the attacking, mm-hmm. that the person that called the police ends up fighting the police. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just a strange thing that we live in. But, that's uh, true. Anyway, I'm, it's very fortunate that he had a gun and he was able to stop um, yeah, my goodness. I, I hate to think what might have happened uh, had he not been able to protect his home and protect his daughter. Okay, so guess what time it is now, Dan? Oh, it's almost time to go home. It's time. For Dan's tip of the week. I have two tips You today. do? I'm yes. so excited. Should you have saved one for next week? Probably, because I always think that that's the last tip I'm ever going to have. But, you know, we're coming into August, and guess what happens right after August? The weather starts getting cooler, please. Yes, and September 1st comes, which in Arizona, that is the first day of dove season. Ooh, it's so close. Right? Oh, my goodness. And so my tip is for the dove hunters out there mm-hmm. to make sure that their gun is up and ready to go. Who wants to drive 40 miles out to a field, wait for that perfect dove to fly by, and your gun goes click. I didn't see any hands go up for that one. No, I didn't either. But we had a gentleman just came in yesterday with a gun. 
and he asked us to get it ready for dove season, and I took it out there, and the first thing I do is test fire the gun, mm-hmm. and guess what it did? Uh, click? Click. Mm. So That's um, a bad sound. Right. So now, you know, I went through and worked on the gun last night and got it working, and it's ready to go now. So just have your um, guns ready to go. Do a good cleaning, and every once in a while, you should have them checked out by a gunsmith and just gone through. Oh, very good. And so you said you had two tips? Yes. My second tip is for the dove out there. (laughs) Fly away, dove. Fly away. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm kind of glad you didn't save that one till next week. (laughs) That would have been... That's when we need a a set of drums in here and do a rim shot. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's my tip of the week. I think that's a great tip of the week. You know, maintenance is always something that should be top of mind. Safety and maintenance, right? Yeah, and your ammunition. You know, you want to make sure you're recircling and lading that ammo. If you've got some ammo stored around, shoot that, just practice shooting, Mm -hmm. and go buy some fresh ammo for for dove hunting so that you're ready to go. I bet we sell that kind of ammo at azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. Ah, See what I did there? Uh, what what did you do, Cheryl? I snuck in a commercial for azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And we do have a lot of shotgun shells. Are, are They're coming in now. So All right. we got a great selection. So, you know, over 1,200 guns, and there's a lot of neat stuff in there. We have uh, vintage World War II stuff all the way to the modern guns. And we just have a new employee now. We have a... Woman behind the counter. We do our first female employee, Miss Dana. She, she's awesome. I'm super excited uh, to have her join the team. And we are out of time. We got to wrap it up. So thank you so much to our listeners. Thank you to our guests for taking the time on a Saturday to come on and share your wisdom with us. And uh, until next time, please pray for this nation of ours. It, we need prayer. Um, pray for our leaders. All of them? Yes, Dan, all of them. Even the ones you don't like, maybe especially the ones you don't like, and be good to each other. Have a great week, and God bless. And we leave you with this thought from President Reagan. Our founding fathers here in this country brought about the only true revolution that has ever taken place in man's history. Every other revolution simply exchanged one set of rulers for another set of rulers. But only here, Did that little band of men so advanced beyond their time that the world has never seen their like since evolve the idea that you and I have within ourselves the God-given right and the ability to determine our own destiny. But freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free.